Good afternoon. It is Friday, August 17th, 2012. This is Chicky Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and I am so excited uh, for today's interview because this is an author that uh, I have certainly known about for a very, very long time and uh, read her, her first book for women only uh, a number of years ago, and I don't even remember, Shanti, when that came out, but I was just telling her uh, she also wrote a book uh, or co-wrote a book uh, called For Men Only, which I, of course, bought for my husband and put on his bedside table. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let me introduce you uh, to my new friend, Shanti Feldham. Am I pronouncing the last uh, name correctly, Feldham? Close enough. I answer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the first name is Shanti. Yes, and Shanti, exactly. welcome to the Executive Girlfriends Group. Uh, again, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm so excited about a, a group of women who are in this sort of position. This is wonderful. Well, you know, we, we have been around. We just celebrated our four-year anniversary. I can't even believe it. Uh, Woo! I founded the Executive <laughs> Girlfriends Group Strangely enough, and again, I had no idea that I did this on National Girlfriend's Day, which is August 1st. I didn't even know there oh. was a National Girlfriend's Day, but I, I managed to time that pretty well. And in the four years that we um, have been around, we have about 700 women uh, that we touch uh, on a regular basis with communication uh, about executive women's issues. And our women range from senior executive women in Fortune 100. 500 companies, all the way down to entrepreneurs, mostly who are in service businesses, so consulting, uh, coaching. Uh, we have a lot, actually, of our former authors, uh, our former guests on the show who have uh, become regular members of the Executive Girlfriends Group, so it's fun to have a really wide range. What we don't have in our organization are, are women who aren't in the professional uh, workplace who work from home, uh, you know, just doing uh, small business uh, endeavors. So we really focus on women who, even if they are working from home, uh, like myself, um, we have been executives uh, in, in executive roles uh, over the course of our career. So that's who you're going to be talking to today. So the topic uh, that we have here of uh, your current book, For Women Only in the Workplace, The Male Factor, um, and, and talking about the unwritten rules, misperceptions, and secret beliefs of men in the workplace um, is is really the topic of today. And this is one that you know is really near and dear to everyone's heart. So before <laughs> we dive into talking about the book, let's talk about Shanti. Where do you live? You know, tell us your family situation. Just a, a snapshot so that our guests can get to know you better. Sure, absolutely. I I live in Atlanta, and um, I have a husband and two kids who are a middle school daughter, and a fourth grade boy. And um, I actually am, it's really interesting. I'm a social researcher and an author and a speaker, but I didn't start out that way. And it's kind of funny to look back because I actually started out on Wall Street. Um, I got a graduate degree that was very analytical um, up in Boston and moved to New York. And that's where I started my marriage and started, um, you know, really diving into the corporate world and ended up taking a right-hand turn um, a number of years later and um, really stumbling over some things that I didn't know at that time. It was really things I didn't know about men and um, finding out that there was a whole host of stuff that um, many of us women don't know about men at home or in the workplace. And it just <laughs> led me on this whole new, on this whole new path um, of becoming a social researcher and using that analytical background in an entirely different way. So 
it's really kind of fun. I go around and speak to a lot of different groups, a lot of corporate groups, community groups, church groups, that kind of stuff, and it's it's been really fun. Now tell me about Jeff, your husband, because he, he, he has been your co-author on, or at least has. your advisor. Yes, he really has. He's He is a fantastic guy. Um, he is a attorney. He's an attorney by training. Um, I actually met him in graduate school. Um, but he's a total entrepreneur at heart. And um, so he still does some legal work, but really is co- concentrating on um, starting a couple of technology businesses. And really? he kind of gets roped into helping me <laughs> with some of the books and the speaking from time to time. Um, because we, you know, as you kind of mentioned, um, we co-authored and researched and wrote the book to help men understand women together. Right. And so we do a lot of marriage conferences. We get invited to do a lot of relationship seminars. And um, and he's got this great way of he's just such a guy's guy and he's not a psychologist and he's just the average kind of semi-confused husband. So the, <laughs> the guys at these marriage conferences think, wow, if this kind of knucklehead can figure this out, I, I must be able to. And uh, it's really it's been wonderful doing that with him. Well, and you guys uh, co-authored another book called For Couples Only, Eye-Opening Insights uh, About How the Opposite Sex Thinks. You've got one for young men called A Guy's Guide to the Alien Gender. (laughs) What what age group is that that geared toward? Well, actually, for young men only and for young women only, both of them are geared uh, towards teenagers. And um, that was what we did all, because these are all based on nationally representative surveys and, uh, uh-huh. you know, thousands of interviews, and these are all primarily um, with teenagers ages 14 to 18-ish. Um, once kids get a little bit older and they're in college, they tend to transition to the adult books. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, that's been fun because, honestly, what we've found is so much, even though I know here today most of what we're going to be talking about is the workplace application, Right. we found it in the personal relationship application so much of the headache and heartache that comes doesn't really have to be there and it's it's really because there's just a few things that we just don't know and we don't know that we don't know and you learn that stuff early as a teenager it can save your marriage in advance right and it's just been it's been really neat to see the impact that that's had well, I can see we need to do a whole Shanti series of calls because there are a couple of other uh, books that you have written, uh, The Life-Ready Woman, Thriving in a Do-It-All World. And again, so many of the women in the Executive Girlfriends group, in fact, it's some. we haven't done a recent survey, but I'm going to say 85% of our women are the breadwinners. Yeah, family. that's that's very common. Yeah, and, very common. And uh, you know, again, some are fortunate to have husbands who who are you know stay at home dads or who do the stay at home role even if the kids are grown. Um, you know, I had that for a long time. I had it for 13 years, and then my 61 year old husband just went and got a job in November. And, oh wow! Yeah, and you know, I mean, it was weird. He all of a sudden turned into Archie Bunker of walking in the door and saying, "What's for dinner?" You know, and I've been <laughs> taking care of kids home, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I'm starting, you know, typically one or two businesses at the same same time. And I just look at him like. <laughs> 
you know, where did this man come from? So we're definitely going to, I'll have Patty schedule another call to talk about that because I think that one is also really important. And, you know, we are going to talk about the business application uh, of the book today, but I want to let you know that the the real distinction in the Executive Girlfriends group, and, and I gave it that name for a reason because I didn't want this to be a call where we only talked about business issues because we all know that if you have a rip-roaring fight with your husband in the morning and you walk into a business meeting, you know, it is really tough to separate yep. that. And and also to have those feelings about men in general spill over onto the men in your business well, world you know, that you I didn't even really <laughs> intend. Well, you know, I don't know about your your members. I'm assuming they're like many of the women that I've spoken with because I speak at corporations all over the country and you know we'll do some of these um, you know high potential women teams or senior women um, you know VP level and above where we get into a closed door session and there's 10 or 20 or 30 you know women and the conversation changes really quickly from Mm -hmm. some of the workplace stuff to the point where I'd I'd say probably 70% of the questions are more turned to more of the personal stuff, right? Because right. we're all we're very holistic people, us women, and it all is wrapped up together. Exactly. And um, it's you know when you're when you're having some of the personal relationship stuff, it's like nothing else is right with the world until that's resolved. Exactly, and um, you'll well, be far and, better. And again, uh, you know, you start this book uh, by giving us men 101 because yep. the, the the men in our home lives and the men in our business lives, which, by the way, sometimes are one and the same. I, I actually worked with my husband for 10 years before he went out and got this job. So um, talk to us about what are the key points that we must know about men before we can even deal with either side of the <laughs> equation. Well, really, truly, one of the most vital, vital things to realize is that it, there is so much going on under the surface that you don't realize is there. And um, and guys are kind of fond of saying things like, hey, we're just simple people. <laughs> you know, what you right. see is what you get. And, you know, we care about two or three things and that's it. And we kind of laugh and, you know, everybody thinks, yeah. And But you know what? Actually, that's sort of true in, in some ways, but really it hides a reality that's down under the surface. I always tell tell women the most important thing you have to know, whether it's at home or in the workplace, is that there is a lot of stuff going on under the surface, some deep insecurities that you don't know are there and self-doubt that you don't know is there. Um, there's some needs and expectations and perceptions that are really easy to miss because men think very differently than women do in some areas. And that's, that itself can be a really controversial statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, truly, I mean, neuroscientists have found that really the brains are wired differently. There's some key ways that the women's brain and men's brain is wired differently. And that leads to some of these different expectations, which I'm sure we're going to talk about on, the, on this call. But right. that's the starting point is just realize, A, he's different, and B, you may not see some of these differences, and it is absolutely vital to learn to look under the surface. So the next chapter of the book is is called It's Not Personal, It's Business, and the the subtitle for that chapter is Welcome to Two Different Worlds. <laughs> yep. This is This is one of these areas that we've all heard that whole it's not personal, it's just business comment. Um, some of us have even said it, right? Um, but we mean something that is very different 
than what men mean when they are saying that. Um, it turns out that in a man's mind, and this is truly because of the way the male brain is wired, we've heard that guys are compartmentalized, right? We've heard that phrase. But what it really means is, some, is really the key here, which is that there's actually a, a distinction in the way that the male hemispheres, the hemispheres of the brain work, that it is easier for them and more automatic for them to when they leave work, excuse me, when they leave um, their home in the morning, and they cross town, and they get off um, on the you know third floor at the office. They, in their mind, they are almost in a different planet, and it functions by completely different rules than the home world functions by. And so, I, the way I refer to it is sort of personal world and work world, and right. different expectations, different perceptions. You know, for example, silly example, but you know, in personal world, in their mind, you know, if your wife has a problem, you listen as long as she needs. You listen to the emotions, you listen to all that stuff because that's what you do. You love your wife. In work world, in their mind, totally different expectations. You don't listen to somebody as long as they need because that's not part of the expectation. And the reason for that is this host of, in their mind, this host of unwritten rules that govern this place called work world. They didn't make them up in their mind. They just kind of found it this way and they're fitting in. And, for example... One of those unwritten rules is that you don't even have the same personal feelings at work as you do at home. I mean, right. you're, you're supposed to leave your personal feelings on the other side of the bridge. And that's actually easy for men to do because of that compartmentalization. It's actively difficult or impossible for women to do. Um, I think 87% of the women on our survey said they can't just close out those personal feelings and so for men, it looks like she's taking something personally. Why is she taking this personally? And so for, for, for us to understand that this is an expectation that they see in their mind, you operating by some rules that really belong at home, not at work, they automatically kind of go, hmm, she's a little less business savvy. She's a little less experienced. Maybe she's a little bit insecure. And none of those things might be true, but that's his perception. And that's an example of dig underneath the surface, find out what some of those expectations are, and you will be far better placed to have a really positive relationship because you can, it's like being in another culture, you can decide how you're going to approach this guy who you now know is going to have this perception of you. So it's really, it's very, very handy stuff. So let's move on to kind of the classic, uh, you know, men and women in the workplace uh, where where you collide, and that is she's crying. What do I do? Yeah. And how men view emotions at work, and and I'll tell you what this one, this one is the one that uh, I perhaps struggle the most with because I I have been trying to work on my persona, mm-hmm. if you will, to be more controlled uh, and not to take my heart completely off my sleeve because that's who I am but you know when I talk about uh, you know kind of my my heroes of of who I want to emulate and I mean I don't want to emulate what they portray on TV with her but I don't know if you've ever seen The Good Wife but um, Juliana Margulies just other than being absolutely stunning and and gorgeous (laughs) she just is always so good at just controlling who she is, yeah, and and you know you would never catch her crying at work. So talk to us about uh, how men view emotions. 
You know, this is really interesting. It's not, we all know that men have some issues with emotions. And like you said, you, this is who we are. We're wired in a certain way. We need to be authentic and genuine, you know, to who we are as women. That's part of our strength, right? But what we don't realize, it's not just that men view emotions at work as being kind of inappropriate or, or unprofessional. I mean, we think the same, right? You know, if you see somebody who's about to right. burst into tears, you think of that as being a bit unprofessional as well. So there's actually something much more important that men think when they see emotions. So there's actually two things we need to know. We need to know what they think when they see that, sort of how they view it. Again, way more than just it's unprofessional. We also need to know what men think of as getting emotional to begin with because in their minds, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, it's way more than just fighting back tears. So let's tackle the first of those real quick. The first, you know, is how do men view it when they see emotions? Well, the male brain is actually wired in a way that it's difficult to do more than one thing at a time. You know, we, we've all seen really? this. They're very linear. <laughs> we all know this. They're very linear, and they're designed to do one thing deeply, one thought deeply, one function deeply at a time and move on to the next. But what that means is it's actively difficult for them to process a thought and a feeling at the same time. So they've learned that in order to think clearly, they have to shut out emotions and then they can deal, you know, logically with a problem. They can think very clearly and then move on to the next thing. And at some point, they can kind of pull that emotion back out and deal with that. Well, here's the problem. If men can't think clearly when they feel themselves getting emotional, they look at you getting emotional and they assume you're not thinking clearly either. Right. And that's not the case for women because our brains, by contrast, are wired to be able to do all these things all at once. I can be pretty upset and be handling a pretty high degree of emotion and still be thinking very clearly, thank you very much. But my male colleague doesn't know that. And so if I'm and I've seen this over and over again. Like I have, you know, teams of, of men that I work with or who work for me in certain roles and if I'm getting a bit exercised about something, I see this look coming into their eye like, Oh, whatever decisions that she's about to make aren't necessarily going to be good. And I've and I've recognized that because of this research and I'll literally have to say something like, you know, just so you know, guys, I'm I'm a little irritated about this. Um but, you know, here's why I'm thinking A, B and C just won't work in this case. And I'm proving to them that I'm thinking logically and I'm taking that issue off the table. And then they go, Oh, right. okay. And that's an example of just, okay, that's one thing it's really good to know. But then, okay, so if they think we're not thinking necessarily clearly and that our our brain is being, you know, our gears are being furred up because that's what would happen to them, the second thing that we have to know is what they view as getting emotional to begin with, what they see as getting, it's way more than just crying. I mean, right. literally, if you have a personality conflict with a colleague, they view that as feelings are involved, feelings should have been left back on the other side of the bridge this morning, these emotions are getting in the way, she's not thinking clearly, or getting defensive in a meeting when your boss says, you know, well, why didn't you do such and such analysis, and your voice rises a little bit, and you're like, well, Bob, remember I asked for the $200,000 for the data package, and we couldn't afford it, so I said at the time I wouldn't be able to do this, and you're, you know, you're getting a little defensive, he's thinking, oh, she's getting emotional, not thinking clearly. I mean, there's a host of things. Pushing too hard. Usually when we get turned down on a proposal and we think, oh, I can see the train wreck coming, and I go back around and I think, you know, Bob, let me just push back on this. 
at some point you do that a couple times and they start thinking she's emotionally attached. She's not thinking clearly. This isn't objective anymore. And usually the irony is it usually is the reverse. We're pushing so hard because we're being logical and we can see the train wreck coming. So those are all examples. Oh, man, we just have to know how men view things. Well, and, you know, it's funny. I went to an American Management Association uh, training course years ago, and and, uh, my boss thought I needed to, you know, kind of play better with others. Well, that was before I realized that I'm actually a consultant at heart, even Mm. when I was in corporate life. Um, And, you know, I just, I I was too honest about what I thought. So he sent me off to this AMA uh, session. And fortunately for me, it was in Carmel, California, this wonderful (laughs) resort. And there were only about, I I want to say 15 people at this uh, session. And it, it was very intense of... Uh, team building, and but none of us knew each other. And the one exercise I remember out of that week was they took out a list of emotions, and the you know and and asked you to circle which ones you routinely had to deal with. And you know the women are like taking their pens out and starting to circle, and the men are like, "Holy cow, there are this many emotions!" <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> Which I loved, and it's funny because I've got my my son is entering middle school uh, on Tuesday, and he has had to write a book report. But the, they want him to write about the emotional side of the book, and he's like, "What?" And, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Well, you know, what what's an emotion?" So I'm having to start that work early, but it's good. It's all it's all really good. So let's move on uh, to the next one. If I let down my guard, the world will stop spinning. The hidden fear that drives men at work. Yeah, this one was fascinating. <laughs> um, I I was trying to figure out why men have all these Robert's Rules of Order of the way things right. they think things should go in the workplace. And um, and honestly, this was behind it. And I didn't understand for a while what was behind it. But there's a deep sense of it's basically this feeling like if I let my guard down at all, that, you know, I'm juggling a uh, hundred plates in the air, you know, a hundred batons, and if I right. let my guard down at all, it's all going to fall in a heap. And not just me, but if the people around me let their guard down at all, if they're not working full flat, you know, flat out, you know, 100 miles an hour all day, every day, things are going to fall apart. And I realize there's this deep sense in men that is is really deriving a lot of the behavior, like, no, you can't have feelings at work. It might get in the way, and, you know, my business might fall apart. And and that sense is really important, even if we don't agree with it, it's important to know that it's there because to the degree that, you know, we may think, well, that's silly. You know, it's not all going to fall apart. We've got a little margin here or there. You're not understanding that, you know, for all men saying don't take things personally, don't be emotional, there are things that they are very emotional about. It's just right. different things, and this is one of them. And well, so, but we see it also on Saturdays with our husbands. I've got to clean the garage. It's like, okay, where's the checklist, and who who gave you that assignment? Yeah. <laughs> I got the garage to. two months ago. Yeah, I've got to do it. But you well, know that that is uh, an important insight, Shanti. That that um, you know, again, the house will stop spinning if he doesn't clean the garage. Well, it's and here's the thing for for any female executive to be aware of because this is there's something that comes down the pike often, 
as men look at who they they believe is is able to and qualified to rise up further in the ranks of leadership mm-hmm. at a company they're basically looking down through the corporate structure and and I'm talking specifically about you know people near the top of the corporate ladder um who tend today to be more likely to be men not always but so that's where a lot of these expectations come from because it tends to be more male led and they're basically saying okay I know this might be irrational, this neurosis that I have, that everything's about to fall apart, right. you know, and I know that that may, that be, may be irrational. But I've actually heard many men say things like, but if everybody around me doesn't share that same neurosis, I don't want them on my team. Like, basically, I need to have the sense that everybody around me recognizes that the weight of the world is on our shoulders and that everybody's going to share the weight of the world. And that makes me feel incredibly loyal to someone and like they get it and like this is someone who's a true leader. Now, we may think that's ridiculous. There's many things that make a true leader. That's not one of them. But to men, oh, no, 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 no. That is a very, very key qualification in their mind for leadership. So talk to us about the next one, the the little things that drive men crazy. And the phrase that you use for this chapter is, I can't handle it. Yeah, the, the the little things that drive men crazy is a catch-all for the fact that as I was doing these interviews and surveys, and now over the years I've interviewed and surveyed more than 5,000 men of every conceivable industry and age and race and ethnic, I mean, ethnic background, I mean, every every type of man. And there were a few things that came up over and over and over, little frustrations that had a very, very big impact. Things like, for example, getting to the point. We've all heard this, that it's important to get to the point with men. What I hadn't realized is that it's not just that it's a preference. It's actively hard for a man to listen when you don't get to the point because the the man is thinking, for example, as she's telling me the story of her meeting with the client, I don't know where she's going with this, and so I don't know if what she's going to end with is, so isn't that interesting, or so we lost the client. (laughs) I don't know where she's going. It's actively difficult to listen. Now, think about it. That's completely different from the way that many women tend to process because if, if I am having one of my staff members come to me and tell me about a meeting, I want to hear those details so that I know that they did it right. Right. So that their conclusion, I can say, yep, the conclusion is right because the process was right and I hear what you did with the men. No, tell me up front, okay, so the meeting went great. We're going to end up with a half a million dollars in business next year. What else would you like to know? And, you know, for a man, that is so much easier to listen to. So that's an example. There's several of these things that can really be big frustrations or Alternatively, if you know what they are, it can lead to much greater mutual respect because it's a feeling like, okay, this person gets it. Right. So the next chapter uh, is really about uh, when things start getting difficult. And, and again, the quote here is, suck it up, getting it done no matter what. Yeah, this is this is a hard one for those of us who really desire work-life balance. Um, you know, we all this is an issue for everybody, and especially for women in more senior or executive roles. And um, the issue here really is recognizing that for anybody in a senior role, 
Um, but especially it's something that statistically is even more important to men. There is a high priority on it doesn't matter whether Johnny is sick. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're going through a divorce. It doesn't matter whether there was a storm and all your power was knocked out. It doesn't matter. Is that when something has to get done, it has to get done. And there's a recognition amongst men that is not always shared by women that, you know, men want to be accommodating. If you, for example, you're, you know, you're in a season of life where you have two little kids and you just have to leave at four or five every day and it's, it's just the way things are and you do work from home, but you just have to leave at four or five. That, that people, again, near the top of the ladder who tend to be more men, they keep telling me things like, you know what, I want to be accommodating of that. You know, if that was my wife, I would want her boss to accommodate it, but let's not pretend that you're going to be able to get the same amount done. And so let's acknowledge that this is going to be something that's going to lead to you get fewer projects. You get maybe not as much of a promotion chance. You get um, – your compensation might need to change. And for men, they're like, yep, you know, if that was them, they'd go into their boss and they'd say, you know what, I'm going to need to leave at five every day for the next year. I just wanted you to know how should we adjust my pay, what's the expectations, and everybody's like, great. But for some reason – there's something in women we so much want to try to do it all and have it all and be it all all at the same time that we reckon we don't necessarily always recognize sometimes we're not doing anything well and that it's really important to be proactive and that leads to so much more respect when you walk in the door and say you know what I'm realizing I'm going to have to leave every day at 5 you know for this next year it's really important because of x y right. and z and I'm going to be back ramping up you know in 2000 you know at the end of 2013 but for the next year how should we adjust my projects you know right. and that oh my goodness there's so much more of a sense of this person totally gets it mm. now the the next one and this is this is a a point that I remember so strongly from uh your your book for women only is uh, the quote uh, from the man is, I'm not as confident as I look. Men's inner insecurity and their need for respect. Yeah, this this was the one that just boggled my mind, honestly, um, is that there is a lot of self-doubt inside men that we don't even right. know is there. I mean, guys look so confident in themselves, you know, and we joke about the huge male ego and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and instead, I realized that there's this insecurity and self-doubt running underneath the surface. And what it's led to is, you know how, you know how sometimes, and I'm sure many of your members and your listeners have found themselves in this situation where, you know, a strong and uh, confident man is viewed as assertive, but a strong and confident woman is viewed as difficult right. as you know something that else. was a nice way to put it yeah that was a nice way yeah <laughs> and and we kind of wonder that is such a double standard why yeah. is that that is so frustrating well guess what this is usually what's behind it is that what we don't realize is that there are ways it's, it's basically that self-doubt is a bit like a raw nerve in the men and we can hit that nerve without having any idea that that's what we're doing and so hitting that nerve can be as simple as, you know, we think men like a really direct approach. So we go marching in to a meeting and we say, well, this is the way I think we should do it. And, you know, and, in, and instead we're pushing all these buttons where the man is thinking, 
you know, does she not think that I know what I'm doing? And, you know, he's not ever going to say any of that, but it raises his hackles and it raises his defensiveness and he automatically wants to push back against that and he automatically thinks she's being really disrespectful. And all we're trying to do is swim with the sharks, you know. Right, all we think right. we're doing is just being very direct and being very businesslike and having no clue that we're hitting this nerve and saying, you're inadequate. Like, for example, you raise your hand in a meeting. You know, if Bob, your boss, is at the whiteboard and is saying, okay, you know, here's what I think pricing needs to be for the next year. And you raise your hand and you say, um, you know, Bob, why did you choose that pricing? And you're just asking for information. But because Bob is dealing with the secret, like, do I know what I'm doing? You know, do, I want to tackle a challenge, but I'm really not sure. I'm, I know everything I'm doing at, at the office and, you know, what do people think of me? And then you raise your hand and say, why do you choose that pricing? <laughs> it, 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 to him, he's thinking, I can't believe she's challenging me in front of my whole team. Right. And that one dynamic, if you instead recognize this is a guy who looks really confident, but inside he's questioning himself. And you raise your hand and you say, you know, Bob, um, help me understand the reason for that pricing. It's the same question, but it's asked in a way that assumes you have a reason. I'm not there yet. Help me understand. Right. And it, it changes the dynamic to be so much more positive. And so many of the men that I privately interviewed, and I've, I've interviewed some of the most senior executive men in the country, and so many of these men have said, that is the woman that I want on my executive team, is the one who recognizes that this is sort of a teamwork all together. We understand each other's sensitivities. We understand what's not being said. And that is somebody who I would feel so you know, thrilled to work with every day because right. I feel like we're all pulling together. So just recognize there's a lot underneath the surface there. Well, and, you know, there are things that we do unwittingly that do sabotage us in the workplace. And this next one, I think, is one um, that isn't just sensitive for for men with women, but it, it actually, you know, can really turn off other women as well. And, and that is the low-cut blouse that undercuts her career, sending the right signals and um, avoiding the visual trap. And I will tell you that, you know, when I, Patty and I get uh, hundreds of of uh, speaker proposals, both for the Executive Girlfriends Group and uh, we do two other uh, radio shows. And, you know, when I get a picture of a woman uh, that is seductive, um, I don't care if she wrote the most successful book in the world, you know, it just turns me off. Mm. So talk to me about what happens uh, with, with the men because, uh, you know, again, women who do that must think that it somehow uh, helps them or they wouldn't do it. Yeah, this is a, there's a big, big misunderstanding. Um, and, and I'm guessing that probably most of your, the women who are your listeners, they probably already get this but need help helping other women in their downline to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, because this is a way that women sabotage themselves and don't even realize it. See, here's basically the thing. The women who are dressing in a certain that certain way, most of the time, according to our surveys, they are just wanting to look um, confident, look good, wear what's in style, feel confident about themselves. And they don't realize that they're triggering something in the male brain that is very different from the way things happen in the female brain. If if we were, for example, looking at an attractive man, there's something very different that goes on. And so here's basically what's happening. There's a part of the male brain 
It's in the brain stem, which is the back of the brain, you know, where all of the automatic stuff like digestion and breathing happens, you know, the stuff you don't think about. Right. There's a part of the, the brain called the nucleus accumbens, and it's a little, a little center that is where lights, it lights up. If you, for example, you haven't eaten all day, and you walk into a room and you see food you know, across the room, and your nucleus accumbens lights up, and you're drawn to that. And it's not a, a thought. It's a very gut-level, I want that. You're drawn towards it. Right. Well, when a man sees a woman who's dressed in that way, um, his nucleus accumbens lights up in that same exact gut-level biological, I'm drawn to that. And the other thing that it does is it shuts off rational thinking. And then then the rational thinking centers can kick in, the cortical centers, which are on the front of the brain. They can kick in, and he can think to himself, whoa, what am I thinking? You know, why am I thinking that about this woman? It works. Stop it. And try to concentrate on what she's saying. But she's at the whiteboard, and the next time she turns around to make you know, the next point in her presentation, his nucleus accumbens lights up and his, has this gut-level biological reaction to that, and he's like, ah, and then he has to pull his thoughts away. And so basically what we found is he's not hearing a word that she's saying because right. he's having this little intrabrain war going on. And that, what we've, what we've quantified, even when it's as simple as the experiment we did was a 90-second video of a woman dressed with a regular top and a woman with a low-cut top, and the percentage of men who remembered her four points dropped by 25% when she was wearing the low-cut That's top. Amazing. And and that's just with a 90-second video where they could look down and take a couple notes and solve the problem. How much more in a real-life you know, situation? And that's what women don't realize. It's not for us. It's about, for us as women, it's about looking good and feeling confident. But for men, they're thinking to themselves, why would this talented woman want me to fantasize about her? Because they don't see any other reason that she dressed that way. <laughs> and the difference for us as women, we don't get this because when we see an attractive man, that part of our brain doesn't light up. And this makes our husbands very disappointed when they learn <laughs> But But instead, when we see an attractive man, our thinking centers light up and we think to ourselves, you know, he's an attractive man. And it's a thinking-oriented response from the beginning. Yeah. So we have no idea that there's this whole other thing going on in the male brain. And it is absolutely imperative because a he's not hearing a word that she's saying and b this really impacts his respect for her um because he thinks she's just trying to get her you know him to fantasize about her so she, you know he'll she'll give him the deal or whatever i mean it's right. it's crazy and so we again little pieces of knowledge can go a long way when we know this so shanti you did a lot of interviews so out of that what is the top advice for women in the workplace from men? The top advice for women was actually really, really encouraging. Um, I was expecting when I gave them a blank space at the end of the survey and said, you know, for talented women in the workplace, what's your top advice if they work with men? You know, what is it? And right. instead of getting a laundry list of, well, you need to think about this or how you dress or blah, 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 you know, instead – the majority of the men answered this very encouraging comment of just be yourself. Don't try to be like a man. Just be confident in who you are. Um, you know, we know we're all cheering for you. You're competent. You know, keep up the good work. It was, it was very, very encouraging. And one of the things that I had found all the way through all of these interviews 
is that there was an immense amount of goodwill amongst the men towards the women that they worked with, whether the woman was their boss or their colleague or their subordinate or a customer. There was a huge amount of goodwill towards towards women. This, the kind of the old-style bias really mm-hmm. wasn't there as much as I had thought it would be. Um, and it really is encouraging to us that, you know, sometimes – some of the stumbling blocks are just some of these little things that we just didn't know. But once we are aware of some of them and once we can decide, you know, this is not something I'm willing to to change or address, but this over here, this might help me. Once we make some informed decisions on maybe I'll do something just a little bit different, approach something a little bit differently than I would have otherwise, it can have huge impacts because the goodwill towards us is already there. Right, right. Well, Shanti, I know you have two different versions of this book. One is a faith-based version, and then in that book you have an extra chapter, which is seasoned advice uh, from from godly women. And, you know, I would love uh, to close and and talk about that. And uh, then, like I said, you know, there's so many things out of your other books that I would just love to schedule another time with you. Uh, because we don't have time today. But uh, can you just share uh, those those tips? Oh, sure, absolutely. It, and this is all sort of comes under the heading of, you know, as I was doing the faith-based edition of the book, you know, because obviously the secular edition is the one I take when I go in to speak at some of these big corporations. Right. But this one I felt, I do a lot of work in the faith-based community, and, and there was a lot of interest for women who, you know, they might be working as an executive at a Fortune 100 company, but they come from a position of really wanting to honor God in their work life, right. you know, and how do other women like like me, you know, if, if I'm talking, if this woman is asking, you know, how do other women like me handle some of these particularly thorny situations? Shanti, you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know what you oh. did differently, but I'm, I'm oh, losing. Sorry about that. Um, can you hear me a little bit better now? Yes, I can. Okay, gotcha. Sorry about that. Um, so I interviewed a bunch of these women, and I quoted from specifically from about 12 of them in this chapter and said, how do you handle it? <laughs> you know, what, right. is, what, what are some of the tips for other women who approach life from a faith-based perspective? And some of the things that I heard were so encouraging about, you know, basically recognizing that if you do come at life from that worldview – that you're working, ultimately, you're not working for any one person. You're ultimately trying to honor God in everything that you do. And so really, truly, you can ask him for wisdom in all these different areas, and you'll you'll be given it. You know, as one one woman who's a a very, very senior um, managing partner in a consulting firm, she was talking about the fact that she's always the boss, and usually her team is almost always only men. And that can, you know, lead to some of these issues we've been talking about. And she said, I finally realized, wait a minute, you know, if he really did create these men, I could just ask him how to handle them, (laughs) how to handle the situation. Um, And to also realize, you know, when you have a difficult situation with a difficult boss, that there are ways to be able to truly try to honor God and to not respond in kind um, and to, there are some examples of certain stories about how that works and how God ultimately honors those you know, who try to honor him. So it was, it's a really encouraging to see some of these, um, on a much more personal level, 
some of these women come alongside and give some advice. Well, I uh, so appreciate your time today, Shanti. And and again, I hadn't had the chance to uh, to read this book cover to cover yet, but uh, I'm definitely going to dig in. Uh, it has just been fascinating hearing how you apply all the things, uh, you know, many of uh, which were introduced in in the first book of yours that I read. And, uh, again, I, I really look forward to having you back because, uh, again, we've got a lot of folks who are, are dealing with uh, particularly that issue of really trying to be everything and trying to do it all. And, uh, you know, it's it's a huge, huge struggle and, and being ready for life and, and uh you know, again, whether whether you are an airplane hopping executive or or you know somebody who's dealing with a, a change in your home situation, kids leaving, husbands getting jobs when they've been at home, <laughs> uh, it's just a topic that I know uh, will really be Im- important for for others. So, again, I just thank you so so much. And uh, for people who want to have more information uh, about you personally and and perhaps speaking opportunities, where is the best place for them to contact you? Um, well, my my corporate website is humanfactorresources.com. Uh-huh. So humanfactorresources.com. And when I do work in the personal arena, that's shanti.com, S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. All right, wonderful. Well, our Executive Girlfriends Group members uh, will be able to get information about contacting Shanti directly from our private Executive Girlfriends Group website. Uh, if Patty hasn't had you update that yet, she will. Um, and and that allows our folks, if they want to just pop you an email or send you a little note, they can do that directly. It's one of the benefits of membership. And, but we do have many, many listeners who listen to us on Blog Talk Radio and also on our iTunes channel. So um, we always like to give them a way to get in touch with you if they're not a part of our organization. Well, sure, Shanti, thank you so much, and I just hope you have a wonderful weekend. I know that you're probably uh, ramping up for getting your kids back to school if they aren't already. Oh, very much so. They started this week. Oh, did they already? Yeah, my, my daughter started. My son doesn't start until next week. He's still in the public school system, but we're sending him to a, an all-boys that is part of the magnet program. Neat. A, How uh, good for him. New, yeah, it's an, a bit of an experiment here. I think it's going to go well because they um, they give the teachers 50 hours of training every year on how to teach boys. Oh, and, I'm you know, with jealous already. Just, yeah, what we <laughs> just talked about, you know, it, it really has to start back there in middle school. Yep. Um, so I'm really excited for him and, and uh, you know, it'll be... Uh, good, I think, too, not to have all of the the girl distractions <laughs> during those tender years. So, all right, my dear. Well, I am going to go ahead and stop the recorded portion of the call, and then uh, we can say goodbye after that. But uh, for those who are listening and who are not members of the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can find out more about us at www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And our shows are broadcast on blogtalkradio.com slash solutions live. And we also have an iTunes channel that you can subscribe to if you'd like to listen to some of our past broadcasts. We have over 400 uh, different interviews with authors on everything from life balance, but uh, we focus a lot on leadership and growth and giving and uh, innovation Uh, lots of different topics uh, for the executive woman. So thank you again for listening, 
and we will see you next Friday.